So if you're an energy company, you could spend hundreds of millions on infrastructure and it could literally take five years to bring that asset online and then another five years on top of that for that asset to break even. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Are rate hikes here to stay? In today's episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host Mackenzie Box anticipate the Fed's next move. They also discuss ways to stay invested, NASDAQ versus the S&P 500, Biden's plan to tax windfall profits, and covered call strategies. Before we hear from the team on this milestone episode number 150, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Good morning, and welcome to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insight Podcast with our team of experts. I'm your host today, Mackenzie Box, VP of Product and Strategy at BMO Global Asset Management. First off, I just want to thank everyone for taking time to tune in. We greatly appreciate you listening in and providing your feedback. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thank you, Alfred and Chris, for joining us today. Thanks, Mackenzie. Good morning. Well, let's get into it. The first question today, uh, there is a Fed meeting at 2 p.m., and there's lots of expectations that the Fed will indicate a pivot at some point. What are we anticipating over the long run, and how do you position a portfolio around this? Alfred, we'll start with you. I could take this one. So I think there's uh, a lot of eyes on this meeting for sure. So I'm a little bit worried that you know expectations are a little bit too high just in terms of what the Fed does. Um, so if I'm looking at the market right now, obviously this is before the meeting, but the market is largely pricing in a 75 basis point rate hike. Um, but the way the market is moving over the last couple of weeks, I'm just a little bit concerned that the market may potentially want a 50 basis point hike. So we'll see shortly what happens. But I think the bigger meeting will be the December meeting. So irrespective of what goes on in this meeting, um, I think people are going to be focused on the language. But the December meeting, I think, is going to be more critical given that that's where we're going to get the revisions of the dot plots. But in terms of a pivot, it really depends on how you define a pivot. So, you know, are we going to get a rate cut? So the Fed fund futures right now is pricing in a rate cut for the end of 2023. Um, Frankly, just, you know, given where we are sitting right now, I don't think that's likely. However, just in terms of a pause, I do think a pause is uh, potentially very likely as soon as next year. And the reason why is because, you know, when you look at rate hikes, it generally takes 18 to 24 months for those higher rate hikes to take an effect on the market. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I think there's a lot of leading indicators out there that does suggest that we are seeing some disinflation, especially on the goods front. So just going back to the December meeting, you know, why I think the December meeting is more critical is because that's when we're going to get the revisions of the dot plot. So potentially what may happen is that the Fed may start suggesting that they're going to slow down the pace of rate hikes, but they may raise their terminal values, which uh, would give them the opportunity to take a pause at some point next year, but it still gives them room to move rates higher if necessary. So if there's you know, further evidence that inflation is not actually cooling. So I think 
you know, again, I think that December meeting is going to be more critical. But in terms of portfolio positioning, you know, I think, you know, the way I would approach it is basically, you can basically start, you know, picking away at this market, especially if you're a long-term investor. So we've always talked about, you know, certain trades that we like in the market, um, certain pockets within the market that are trading pretty cheap from a valuation perspective. So we talked about the Canadian banks and ZEB, which is our BMO equal weight Canadian bank ETF. We always talked about that one being just from a valuation perspective, you know, very attractive at this point. But REITs also, I think, are starting to become a little bit more attractive. Um, certain areas which are still overvalued, especially in the industrial and residential space within the REIT sector. But, you know, there's definitely sectors, especially in the office and retail operators that are starting to look a little bit more attractive at this point. But overall, I think, you know, whenever interest rates settle, whenever we get to, you know, whatever that terminal value is, I do think that we are going to enter, you know, a, a, a new regime where a lot of those, you know, high-flying tech stocks that we saw that really drove performance over the last five years, especially, um, I think, you know, the market is going to favor more kind of mature dividend-paying stocks whenever interest rates do settle. Um, but overall, you know, even if you look at the broader market, so the TSX, for example, P ratio of 13.2 compared to the long-term average, 19.1. I think even if you look at the broader market, you just got to trust that over the long-term, the stock market just generally goes from the lower left to the upper right. So we put out a piece, um, I think a couple of months ago, uh, called Staying Invested, which is found in our dashboard. Uh, So we definitely encourage a lot of um, investors and our listeners to check that piece out because it definitely highlights the advantages of staying invested and how timing the market becomes very challenging to do. Perfect. Thanks, Alfred. And I think uh, we've heard the quote, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market that matters. So thanks for that. Ready for tax time? Check out the BMO ETF's Tax Loss Harvesting Guide for 2022, which features trade ideas to help your clients navigate the year's end and harvest tax savings from underperforming securities. To learn the advantages, potential pitfalls, and best practices, access BMO ETF's Tax Loss Harvesting Guide today at bmoetfs.ca. Okay, Chris, we'll turn this next one over to you. After years of outperforming the S&P 500 composite, the NASDAQ has been underperforming year to date. What has been driving this difference and how do you position between the two moving forward? Thanks, Mackenzie. And certainly we have seen a, a reversal of what has been working prior to 2022. And the NASDAQ, the more growth oriented of the two indices you, you mentioned there, underperforming this year after a significant period of outperformance. If you take a look at just the returns between the two indices, that five-year period uh, ending in 2021, at the end of 2021, the NASDAQ gave about approximately 10% annualized outperformance relative to the S&P 500 and about a doubling of the total growth over that five-year period. And again, it really goes back to the conditions at the time, extremely easy monetary policy, not just zero uh, interest rates, but also the quantitative easing uh, that was taking place really rewarded those growth-oriented companies and those indices that tilted towards growth. If we take a look at the difference between the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, you know, the NASDAQ certainly associated with the tech industry and and IT overall, 
you know, we know it's not 100% tech, but if you take a look at the makeup right now, about 50% of the index is invested directly in uh, what's classified as IT companies or information technology companies. But outside of that, you also have those communication services companies like Google, uh, Facebook, and Netflix in the communication services sector, and then Amazon that's actually classified as consumer discretionary. So you have about two-thirds of the index uh, really invested in these tech and tech-like companies uh, that really have, again, more tilted towards growth and long-term uh, earnings potential. And so the S&P 500, by contrast, while there's still a significant tech weight in there, and we know the top names in that index are Apple and Microsoft and the like, um, it's really a more balanced index overall, more broad-based across uh, all sectors uh, in the economy. And so it's a bit more of a balanced, a neutral approach, shall we call it, whereas the NASDAQ really does lean towards those tech-oriented companies. And so what we've seen here in 2022, again, is a reversal of what's worked the last five years with interest rates moving up as fast as they have. First, what we've seen is a, a, a resetting of valuations. So those companies that were more highly, uh, have those higher PEs heading into 2022 have really sold off uh, the most so far this year when we're resetting these valuations lower, essentially due to higher uh, risk-free interest rates. At the same time, the market is also pricing in a slowdown in the economy as conditions are starting to tighten and the Fed, uh, U.S. Federal Reserve, indicating they want to tighten financial conditions in order to slow down inflation. And so not just are we getting a resetting of valuations, but the, also the growth expectations for these growth-oriented companies uh, have come down as well. And so that's led to the underperformance of the NASDAQ year-to-date also. If we take a look at positioning going forward, again, certainly... The NASDAQ, and that's represented by uh, ticker ZNQ, which is the BMO NASDAQ 100 Equity Index ETF, um, still has that tilt towards those growth-oriented companies. And that's not to say that can't outperform going forward on the long term. We're just not going to see that same level of outperformance, as I mentioned, over the previous five years. But I think for investors, the key to looking between when growth is going to start working again and, and when it's not is is really watching those long-term interest rates. And we've started to see a slowing down of the U.S. 10-year, and it's not necessarily just going up, but the volatility of that interest rate. So it's continuing to move around. And so the market is not really able to price what that 10-year sort of growth trajectory is going to look like. But once you start to see that 10-year yield really start to settle in um, to, to a defined range, that's when that growth oriented factor can really start to outperform again, potentially. And again, it's not going to be that doubling of performance, but if the S&P 500 is up approximately 12% in a given year, um, you know, that growth oriented NASDAQ certainly could deliver something like 15 or 16%. So um, again, the potential for that outperformance in that nice sort of Goldilocks type of environment. Um, and for investors, I think, again, it's that longer term interest rate that you're really going to have to key into. Um, you know, we really tell investors Take a look at the S&P 500, again, that more broad-based index, um, and you can use ticker ZSP, which is the BMO S&P 500 index ETF, or if you want that hedge to Canadian dollars, that would be ticker ZUE. Um, that's really the core portfolio holding for U.S. equities, again, because it's diversified across sectors. And for growth-oriented investors that want to tack on or add some of that growth exposure, use the NASDAQ as a nice complement. And again, when to do that, um, you know, it really comes down to that long-term interest rates. 
Of course, in that previous question, Alfred said it's always good to stay invested. So ideally, you're sticking to your core principles and your investment objectives and just leading into that um, at all times. But for investors looking to somewhat time when you're going to make that tilt, um, it's really about resolving that long-term interest rate volatility. Um, and once we settle into a new sort of new normal, um, that growth trajectory can, can take off again. Great. Thanks, Chris. Next, we're going to move this uh, question to Alfred. There are rumors that President Biden may implement a tax on windfall profits for companies without in reinvesting in production. How is this going to impact the sector and how can you highlight the downstream effects on ZEO, our BMO Equal Weight Oil and Gas Index ETF? Well, I'll start by saying, you know, hopefully they stay as rumors, but I think it's a it's a slippery slope, right? So, you know, these windfall profits, um, it's not exactly a new policy that's being proposed. So a lot of the progressive Democrats have been trying to propose something over the last decade, obviously in the last um, couple of months as oil prices have risen again. This proposition has been gaining legs. Um, but overall, you know, when you look at windfall profits, what Biden is basically proposing is that he basically wants a higher tax on companies that record windfall profits and don't necessarily reinvest into increasing production. So things like investing in infrastructure. Um, but I think if you look at it from the point of view of an energy company, it really leaves them in a puts them in a hard spot because you know, from their point of view, they know that governments are very aggressively targeting uh, net zero emissions over the next coming decades. And part of that plan is obviously, you know, moving to things like renewable energy. So if you're an energy company, um, you could spend hundreds of millions on infrastructure and it could literally take, you know, five, five years to bring that asset online and then another five years on top of that for that asset to break even, you know, in today's environment. So, you know, by that time, 10 years later, it's going to be, you know, 2032, 2033, you know, who knows what the environment is going to look at, look like at that time. Um, we're probably going to more, be more reliant on renewable energy at that point. So from a traditional fossil fuel energy company's perspective, it's a lot of uncertainty to deploy that capital, right? That's why we're seeing a lot of, you know, energy companies reluctant to invest in, you know, new infrastructure to, to bring production online. And that's why supply has been, you know, a lot tighter over the last couple of years. Um, but overall, you know, when you look at the proposition in terms of what Biden is um, suggesting at this point, I don't think it's necessarily going to work in the long run either. So if you tax profits of a lot of these energy related companies, you know, it's not going to incentivize them to increase production either, right? So those higher profit margins are going to incentivize a lot of these energy companies to increase profits. Uh, but in terms of ZEO, um, I think, you know, from a policy perspective, I think this bill or, you know, this proposition is going to be very difficult to pass, you know, unless the Democrats make a lot of headway in, in next week's uh, midterms. Um, I think the Senate is going to have a hard time in, in passing this. Even a lot of the, you know, the more centered Democra uh, Democrats, I would say, would probably reject this as well. Um, but I, I do think overall, in terms of an energy company's perspective, it does leave ZEO uh, to be very well positioned because I think, you know, uh, if you look at the cash positions of a lot of the companies within ZEO, it's really starting to build up at this point. So there's really two things that they could do with the cash. They could reinvest it, uh, which we talked earlier. You know, it's really an uncertain environment for them to reinvest that cash and deploy or redeploy into building out new infrastructure. Um, the other alternative they could do is, 
you know, increase share buybacks or increase uh, dividends, which I think over the next couple of years, that's probably the likely outcome where we're going to start seeing dividend increases within the companies within ZEO. Um, so overall, you know, even though clean energy definitely is the future, um, I think if you look at a lot of the infrastructure of today's world, whether it's, you know, appliances, cars, or, you know, planes or whatever it may be, it's still relying on fossil fuels. So it's going to take, you know, at least a decade to become relying on clean energy. But until we get there, it's going to take, you know, five to 10 years, and we're going to need fossil fuels to make that transition, which I think is going to be good for ZEO over the long run. So, you know, I think ZEO is going to be one of those few trades that, you know, isn't really going to be dependent on what central banks do. Um, I think over the the short run or over the, the midterm, um, so over the next five to 10 years, um, what goes on with energy stocks is going to be um, independent of what central banks do with interest rates. Great. Thanks for the update, Alfred. Are your clients flocking south for the winter? Check out BMO's top five snowbird ETFs, which feature no U.S. estate tax exposure. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.ca and search for tickers zwb.u, zpay.u, zwh.u, zus.u, and zsp.u, or read our latest product insight. Our last question for today we'll give to you, Chris. There's been a shift in the structure of volatility markets recently. What is driving this change and what are the implications for strategies using an option overlay, such as our BMO covered call lineup? Sure. And I think we've seen a couple of things really in the volatility markets um, changing. And from a bit of a longer term or high level perspective, you know, post COVID, we've really seen a resetting of volatility in the equity markets uh, and implied volatility as well. We reference the VIX index on this podcast every once in a while. That index essentially um, is a numerical representation of the market's expectation for volatility in the S&P 500 over the next 30 days. So the higher that number is, it really um, indicates uh, more uncertainty in the market as to the the future direction uh, of the market. And so again, post-COVID, we've really seen that reset higher. First of all, that was originally due to you know, certain uncertainty around COVID and COVID-related lockdowns and what the impact would be on, on the economy. And then heading into 2022, we've seen this valuation reset with interest rates moving up significantly and moving away from that zero interest rate policy, causing volatility in the equity markets as well. And so again, overall, volatility has increased. We think to some degree, there's a bit of a, a structural effect here where there's a, a permanent uh, or multi-year reset, again, moving away from that free money or, or loose monetary policy type of environment where volatility would be extremely low to a more uncertain environment where fundamentals um, actually play a, a bigger factor. And so for any investor or any strategy that uh, sells options into this market, that's generally a benefit because volatility is the primary input into options pricing. And so as volatility increases, you can generate more premium through either put selling or call selling. And so that would benefit strategies such as the covered calls. But what we've seen more recently and more in short term in nature is that the strategy that was in effect, um, you know, previous, again, previous to this interest rate environment that we're in now, that buy the dip mentality that we used to see in the market when uh, markets would go down, you know, anywhere 
near 5%, you would see a huge flood of buying coming back into the market and propelling the market higher. Of course, in 2022, that buy the dip mentality hasn't really worked. And we don't think it's going to work going forward as well. But what that's been replaced with is investors buying call options. And so investors still want exposure to that upside potential, that upside surprise, but they're doing it in a more risk controlled way by buying call options instead of going out and just buying the market. You know, you're putting less money to work. You have a more defined downside, but investors still want that upside. And so it's really bid up the price for call options specifically in the market. Once in a while, you might hear reference to the word skew as well or, or put call ratios. And really, that's giving you the, an interpretation of how markets are positioned. When investors are buying more put options, uh, that means that put call ratio is higher. Um, that's a more bearish type of structuring. So when you're buying put options, you're buying protection and you're expecting a, a potential down leg in the markets. When that put call ratio moves higher and calls become more dominant, that's a more bullish type of posturing because investors are wanting exposure to the potential upside in the markets. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. That skew is somewhat flat and call buying calls are really as expensive uh, as puts um, relative to puts that we've seen in the last multi years, so three, five years. And so for investors specifically on the call side of the equation, selling calls through these covered call strategies, it's actually benefiting even more because of this, these recent dynamics. And so looking at um, you know, strategies such as ZWC, our Canadian high dividend covered call ETF, or ZWH, the US high dividend covered call ETF, gives you exposure to that market, but also gives you exposure to this phenomenon of investors bidding up call options and really getting a higher level of premium specifically out of call options, and then also monetizing the overall higher level of volatility that we're seeing in the markets. And so we think for income-oriented investors, these type of strategies that start with a really nice dividend base, those dividend strategies really performing well in this type of market to begin with, and then adding on that covered call layer gives you, you know, really takes advantage of a couple of these things that we've been seeing over the last, again, couple uh, this year so far, and then also in the last couple of months as well. So ZWC and ZWH being two strategies that we think can take advantage of that very well. Great. Thanks, Chris. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And a special thank you to Chris and Alfred for providing some great insights to the uncertain markets. Thanks, everyone. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the occasion of the 150th episode for the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF ticker ZEB, which provides exposure to the six major Canadian banks. Our experts also discussed the future of fossil fuels. During the lengthy transition to renewable energy, the BMO Equal Weight Oil and Gas Index ETF ticker ZEO is positioned to perform well. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. 
Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.